going to continue with this message series. This is the last of the uh, four-part series of wedding vows. And we were talking about the wedding vows that we actually make. You know, we have that moment in the uh, ceremony where we're asked, you know, do you take so-and-so for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and health till death to his part? Um, so we all have that moment. You know, we have to vow. We have to say that, yes, we're going to stick it out. But how many of you guys out here like to go to weddings, really love weddings, love them? I'm not a big wedding fan. I'm going to tell you. I'm not. I'm, I'm just like the anti-romantic. I'm not a very romantic person. I just never have been. But, you know, there's a lot of people that love weddings. There's some people that go to a wedding just to go to a wedding because they're like, oh, this is the best. You know, it's just the greatest thing, you know. But a lot of people like to see these two people, you know, bringing their lives together, you know, and, and you know, all this newness that's exciting. And, you know, the future is just a blank sheet of paper. Nothing's written on it yet. Nothing's erased. Nothing's crossed off. Nothing's smeared. It's all fresh, white, clean, you know. And we all root for them, don't we? Those people that are getting married, you're like, yeah, you can do it. You can make it. You know, we root for them. We want to see them make it. Even though the divorce rate is 50%, you know, we want to see the, that couple make it. We want to see if they can do it. You know, but a lot of times, you know, they're, they're pretty optimistic. They're walking on these billowy clouds of love. You know, everything is wonderful and everything is great. And a lot of times, we still want to see those people make it. We want them to go on and celebrate anniversaries, you know, even if we have seen numerous people in the past that we've gone to weddings and didn't make it, how many people have gone to weddings already where they've divorced? You know? We see it doesn't always work, right? We see it doesn't always happen. Those anniversaries don't get celebrated. You know, but every time we still go to a new wedding, we were like, we still want the next new couple to make it. We're rooting for them. We're, we're thinking, man, this one might be different. This one might make it. And I think the reason why we do that is because in that... There's kind of hope for us all. We think if they can make it, maybe I can make it, you know? If they can do it, maybe true love does really exist. Maybe true love will always prevail, you know? Maybe that's what it's about. But for anybody who's been married for any length of time, they can justify that marriage takes hard work. It's very hard work. It doesn't just happen on its own. You know, to prevail, actually, by definition, means to prove more powerful than opposing forces and to be victorious. So I'm going to tell you, marriage, it is prevailing, prevailing through all the different things. And that may not sound very romantic, but romance is actually going to only take you so far in marriage, and that's just the truth. There's a lot in marriage that really, truly is sweat, blood, guts, and determination, and I can tell you that after almost 30 years and dating my husband for like three or four years before that, it's taken a lot of determination sometimes to get through. And that might sound, you know, more like I'm explaining war <laughs> than it is marriage. But I'm going to tell you something. Marriage sometimes, it can be war. You really can. There's going to be some wars. Because to celebrate anniversaries, we actually have to go through some battles. And uh, you probably are going to have to give out more than you ever thought you would. I mean, I know myself. I was 18, very naive, didn't really understand what it was all about. And I never realized the sacrifice it was going to take, you know, for another person to constantly put them first. And then when you have kids, to put them first, too. Because all of a sudden you realize that most everybody goes before you. And guys, you know that the sacrifice you make for families, you know, with the jobs, the work, all the hours that you put in. You know, there's a lot that goes into marriage. You have to give more of yourself than you ever thought you would. And I think that's why 50% most 
of people don't make it. And I think that's because they're really not willing to sacrifice that much. They're not really to give, willing to give that much of themselves. And it's a lot easier to just sit back and just let people do for you and not do for them, you know. I think what happens, too, is they have this idea that they don't really move past that idea of romantic love. Because we all know romantic love doesn't always last forever. We hear these great romance stories. As a matter of fact, I did. You know, What are the most powerful love stories? You know, really, they're kind of wacko, the ones that they pick. Because I'm like, scarlet and red? Eh, I guess. Romeo and Juliet, they kill themselves. I don't know if that's so romantic. I think that's kind of wacky. You know, some of the things are really not that great. But there's this, this understanding that marriage is going to take some hard work. And, and, you know, the thing is, you're going to have to get through the point of, point of passion starts to maybe wane a little bit. You have to still push past that. And a lot of times what happens is people, they don't want to push past that. They think, okay, the romantic feelings are there anymore, so I should just give up. But there's more that comes with that, you know? Marriage has stages. Stages. I mean, it is just a constant thing. I mean, there's all that breathless excitement at the beginning, but every time, the day in, day out, the work, the kids, the jobs, the house, all those different things can actually start to make things a little bit more difficult. You know, so marriage has stages. It's an ever-changing thing. You know, it's kind of like a living organism. Now, let me read the definition of organism for you. By definition, it is any complex thing or system having properties and functions determined not only by the properties and relations of its individual parts, but by the character of the whole that they compose and by the relations of the parts of the whole. That sounds confusing, doesn't it? Very confusing. But I'm going to tell you, let me, let me put it in better words for you for marriage. Let me explain under the definition a little bit clearer to you. Marriage is complex. How it works is only determined by one person, not by one person, but by both people, deciding how all of it's going to go and how it's going to come together. So really, it is a, it's a living organism. The idea that marriage is, takes you know, one person giving their all, the other person giving their all, and still working it all together and making it all be successful. It's dedication, devotion, stick-to-itness, and hard work. Like I said, that doesn't sound very romantic. But that's what it is. It's at first all about romance and passion and everything's fun and you overlook everyone's faults. You know, somebody does something really stupid and you're like, that's okay, that's okay, that's all right, that's all right. You know, that's because in the first part stage of marriage, there's actually chemicals that are raging through your body helping you at that point. You don't realize it. There's good things that are taking place in your body. And uh, what happens is you start to feel more energy. You feel more amorous, passionate. You'll even feel more agreeable at the beginning. That changes over time. All of a sudden, then later on, somebody starts to do something, and you're like, that's not okay. That's not okay anymore. That used to be okay. It's not okay now. So those things before long, you know, when the chemicals start to fade, you realize when they don't last forever that there's going to come a time when all those things that used to be okay suddenly aren't. Those little faults that you started to really like, well, that's just cute. After a while, they're really going to get on your nerves. Really going to get on your nerves. You're going to be like, really? Seriously? They're going to start to bother you. You're going to argue and find fault with things, and you're going to have to remind yourself some days more than others that, this is a long commitment. <laughs> this is forever and ever. Do you remember that old show? Forever, okay? That's how it is. 
death do us part. All of a sudden, that seems like a really long time, okay? And this is when you begin to decide for yourself really how much it is that you're really committed. How much are you committed to actually see it through? How much are you willing to put into this and effort? And how much grit are you going to have to get to see this through? And how much devotion are you going to put in this? How much really are you going to do to try to keep that passion going? How much are you going to do all those things, you know? Because we can't stay in the lovey-dovey stage of marriage forever. It's just not going to happen. It's not realistic. You know, we hear those great romance stories. A lot of times it's because they've been apart and all these different things. A lot of times you don't ever see those couples, really, that sit there and talk about this passionate love story that have lived with each other for years. They always say, you know, I love them because they've always been there for me, because it's secure, and I know without a doubt that they love me back. That's what love tends to be after a while. It's, it's the security, it's the knowledge of knowing that no matter what, someone loves you with all their heart. It changes. You know, obviously those tough times that we go through and the sacrifice that we go through and all the things that we used to do, we have to kind of reevaluate from time to time where our marriage is going and, and really what, our, what we've gotten ourselves into and how much time and effort and energy we have to put into it, you know, and how much you know, in our relationship with Jesus is no different. You know, when we talk about our our marriage relationships, all this, the reason why Jesus actually uses the idea of a marriage is because he understands that we see this devotion, we see how all that plays out in this world. And so he says, this is how I want you to think of me. I want you to think of me, that I'm here, I'm devoted, I'm here for you no matter what. But really, how much passion you have for me will be how much effort you put into it how much energy and, and time you give to the relationship, you know, how much sweat, blood, guts, and determination you're going to be in your faith as much as it is for your marriage. Because the thing we have to understand with our faith in Jesus is this really is a war. When I talked about the war part, it is a war. But this war is for your soul. This war is whether or not you'll make it. And it's a sad thing that I think a lot of people kind of like go through in their faith the same way that they do really in their relationships. where they kind of take it for granted a lot of times you don't realize what you had until it's gone. You know, that happens. And the thing is, we have to, like, put in our, our time and our effort and our energy into really seeking out God because God is there for us, like, a, like an old faithful, you know, love. But the truth is, we need to put some effort back to feel it. Um, we have to decide for ourselves in our faith if we're going to dig in, really work hard, you know, give up? Or are we going to walk out? Which one are we going to do? What are those things? You know, are we going to do all those things that, or are we going to fight with all we have, really, in our devotion for God? You know, and we have to understand that that's what's really going to make the difference in our faith, is if we do those things. Because just like marriages on earth, there's no promises that everything is going to go smoothly, obviously. That's what the whole message series is about, this idea, for better, for worse, you know, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health. There's no promise Just like there's no promise when you take the vow at the altar, there's no promise. Our futures are not known to us. We don't know what's going to happen. All we do is have faith that we're going to do our best to try to get through it together. And see, that's exactly what we're supposed to do in our faith with Jesus. We don't know what's going to come down the pike. We don't know what dangers could happen. We don't know what struggles we're going to have. But the thing is that we can count on Jesus all the time. You know, those trials are going to come along. Very few people get through this world with no trials. We all have something that we're going to struggle with. We're all going to have things that we're going to go through. And it's then when we decide whether or not we will either get closer to Jesus or we're going to fall away from God. 
you know, in our marriage vow with our spouse, we decide we're going to be in it for the long haul. That's it. Now, that doesn't sound so great, but that's exactly what we need to do with our faith in Jesus. Regardless of what he gives you, regardless if you have sickness or health, or you have riches or poor, or you're a better for worse, that regardless, you're going to stick it out, that you're going to be there for him. You know, the thing is, we have to decide that we're going to see it through together and fight to the end, because Jesus always will. He's the faithful one in the marriage relationship. He's the one who said to say, I'm always there for you. But it's up to us to decide if we're going to be faithful back, you know? I think we've seen people walk away from their faith. We've seen people that have gone through tough times. You know, some of those things that have happened that are better for worse, and they're like, this is too hard. I don't want to go through this no more. People who counted on the fact that they were going to have money, and it didn't happen, and they had nothing, and before long they lost, and they said, you know, what does this get me? Because they think this idea that Jesus is going to be some sort of genie in a bottle that you can rub, and he's going to give you what you want. That's not how faith works. Just like your spouse will someday disappoint you because you asked for something and he didn't deliver or she didn't deliver, same thing happens in our faith. There are going to be things that you're going to ask for and you're going to say, please, God, give me this, and he's going to say no. Not now. And that's it. So then we have to decide, is it worth waiting for? Is it worth still fighting for this? And there's been people in marriages that have given up and you're like, how'd you give up so quick? How'd you give up so quick? And the same thing, same thing happens in our faith. Being in ministry any length of time, I've watched people walk away and I'm like, man, why'd you walk away? There's so much more to this if you would have just stuck it out, you know? God has so much more for us if we'd be willing to fight a little bit for our faith. Well, there's, there's one person in the Bible that got hit with anything, everything and anything that could possibly have, and yet his devotion never wavered. I'm sure most of you people, if you've read the Bible, you know that that's Job. I always thought it was interesting that Job's name is spelled, is pronounced Job, but obviously it looks like what? Job, right? Which everyone usually can't stand. <laughs> Very few people love going to the job every day. You know, it's kind of like a trial. It's a struggle. So it's kind of interesting that Job is Job, and, you know, we all had that experience like that. But I actually was thinking about the fact when I was doing this message series and, and studying for this that I think Job might actually be the model of where this vow that we make in marriage comes from because he has all these things happen to him, that all of these things befall him, and it comes right along with exactly what we do when we vow. I mean, his family, for better or for worse. His fortune, for richer or for poorer. His health, in sickness and in health. So he has all these different things that hit him. Eugene Peterson says that it's not only because Job suffered that it's important to us, but it's because he suffered in the same ways that we suffer in the vital areas of family, personal health, and material things. Job gets hits with a lot. Man, way more than what most of us. If we looked at people's lives, we'd say, please don't ever test me like Job was tested. Job had everything ripped from him. It's horrible. Job 1.1 says in the New Living Translation, it says, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. So Job is described this man who was honest inside and out, blameless, that he hated evil with a passion. Now, blameless isn't perfect. The thing is, we have to understand that in the Bible times, when it talks about a person that's blameless, it doesn't mean that they're perfect. Job still struggled, I'm sure, with certain things, but he was blameless. He did what he could to always seek God and not go the, the idea of seeking evil. He was wealthy. The Bible says he had sheep, cattle, oxen, donkeys, all these different things, and he had this huge staff of servants that kind of did everything for him and took care of him. He was influential. He was a man that was very honored and respected in the community. 
And he had this large family. A wife, seven sons, three daughters. He had a lot. But then what happens to Job is just traumatizing. You read it and you're like, wow, God, please never let this befall me because Job went through so much. The Bible actually says that one day Satan comes along with the angels to report to God. Now, isn't that interesting when you think about that? That Satan comes up to God and comes along with the angels and goes and reports to God of everything that's going on. And God says to him, what are you up to? What are you up to? And he says, I'm out and about, basically patrolling the earth. And then God says to him, have you noticed my faithful servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. You think about that. He's a blameless man, a man of complete integrity, and he fears God and he stays away from evil. And Satan actually says, yeah, I do know him. I do know him. But he says, the reason why he's blameless, God, is because you've always put this hedge of protection around him. You've always kept him safe from everything. That's why he's blameless. You made him prosper. You made him have all these great things. He says, but if you let me, if you allow me to test him, you know, we're going to see, because I bet any money, if I take and do all these things to him, that he'll curse you. He'll curse you, God. And Job's, you know, sitting there just thinking life's great. And here, God brings him up to Satan. Now, we're all like, don't bring me up. I don't want to know. The thing is, Job really was a man of complete integrity. And like, Satan knew him. Satan said, yeah, I know him. So I think that what's one of the things that we have to like keep in mind, are we really dangerous enough to the devil that he'd actually know who we are? That God would actually bring us up to the devil? So the thing is, well, a lot of times we're really not doing so much. We're not so hot. Not so hot that actually, you know, God's going to bring up and say, hey, did you take a notice of this person? But basically what, was Job, what Satan was saying was, yeah, he's devoted to you. Yeah, he loves you. He thinks it's great because you've done everything for him. You've given him everything. You've given him riches. You've given him influence. Influence. You've given him kids. You've given him wife. You've given him all these different things. But if you take them away from him, surely he will turn his back on you. So God actually says, okay, go ahead. Test him. Do whatever you want with him. Take everything he possesses. But you can't harm him physically. That's what he says to him. So... In that moment, you just hold your breath because you think, oh, man, Job's got so much going to happen. And soon, sadly, Job loses just about everything he has. In one day, one day alone, he loses his oxen, donkeys, and his farmhands because of some bad guys that come along. They steal his, his animals, and they kill the hired hand. He loses his sheep and his shepherds because of fire falling from heaven, and it burns them up. His camels are taken, stolen, and his servants are killed by another band of bad guys. And then all of his children are killed when a great wind collapses the house that they were in when they were celebrating a party. All these things. Matter of fact, if you read Job, it's really sad because it's like only one person's coming to report, and before they're done even talking, they're there to tell them another bad thing has happened, and another bad thing, and another bad thing. And hear all these different things that Job has happened. He loses everything in one day. This is what we have to remember. See, Job, one day before, everything looked great. The next day, Job lost almost everything. Everything. See, none of us are promised. If Job is such a good man, such a great man, that God would actually look at him and say, he's, he's blameless. Did you take notice of him? If something like that can happen to Job, why do we feel that he can't do, allow something to happen to us? 
So we have this mindset thinking that we deserve better. But here Job is this blameless man, a man of complete integrity, and all this bad things happen to him. So this is an idea and understanding for you to, to get the fact that it's not just the bad people that have bad things happen to them. Bad things happen to good people. And we have to remember that. So you can be good. You can do good. You can do great. But that's no promise for the future. And the reason why I think that happens is because God says, keep me first. Rely on me. Trust me. Hold on to me. Don't think you have it all figured out. So, basically, he almost loses everything. One day, like I say, he loses all this. And all this, Job actually falls to the ground in worship, and he says to God in Job 121 and 22, he says, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord, and all this, Job did not sin by blaming God. So he said, I trust God still. And he understood the richest thing, did he not? Because he didn't expect the big U-Haul behind the casket. He says, I came here with nothing, and I'm leaving here with nothing. This is it. But Satan wasn't done with Job, and that's the scary part. So again, Satan goes with the angels, and he goes and reports to God. Doesn't tell really the time that really lapsed between, but he asks the same thing. He says, you know, what have you been up to, Satan? He says, I'm out prowling about, you know, patrolling the earth, because that's what the devil does. He actually goes out and about, and he patrols, and he watches, and he sees what's going on, because there is a real devil. And see, people have an understanding. They think that God is God, but they don't believe that the devil exists. They believe that heaven exists, but they don't believe that hell exists. Both exist. Both are true and real. The Bible talks many things about them. So he says again to him, did you notice my faithful, blameless servant, Job? <laughs> You're like, really, God? Really? You really wanted to bring him up again? Don't do it. Don't do it. He says he's the finest man in all the earth, blameless with complete integrity, and he fears God and stays away from evil. Right then, Satan replies and says, Yeah, well, reach out now and take away his health, and this man will surely curse you to your face. See, the thing is that this idea and understanding that things can happen to us, but when it happens to us personally, when our own health gets taken, when our own assurance of how well we feel gets taken, that surely you'll turn your back on God. That's what Satan's hoping for. That's why sometimes when people go through tough times, you're like, why are they going through them? It's like, you have an opportunity to hold on or not. Because when your health goes, a lot of times your faith can go. So God actually just concedes and says, go ahead. Go ahead, you can harm his health, but you can't kill him. You can't kill him, but you can destroy his health. So Satan strikes Job with these terrible boils from head to foot. Job is suffering, just suffering with him. The Bible actually says he's sitting in ashes, scraping his skin with broken pottery. And his wife, the one thing that's not taken from him, his wife says, are you still maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die. It makes you wonder why the wife got to stay, huh? Kind of just to yank his chain a little bit. I don't know. Curse God and die. You know, I always think that they always they talk about, like, Job's wife, that she's really terrible. And, I, you know, I think that really some of the things that she went through and said probably wasn't so good. But nobody ever stops to think that Job's wife lost everything, too. 
She lost everything. She lost her children. She lost everything that she thought was her husband, the riches, everything. And you can see why she became pretty hard-hearted. See, the difference was between Job and his wife was she stayed, you know, a little bit. She got a little hard-hearted, and he became more faithful and more determined to serve, serve God and love him. But Job actually replied, should we accept only the good things from God? You know, never anything bad. So Job maintains his integrity, stays committed, you know, through the whole entire thing. So Job being this most faithful, blameless man on all the earth, all these trials were given to him, and he suffers through them all. He goes through agonizing pain, torture, trying to understand why. See, it isn't just the pain that and the loss that Job went through. That's not really what he suffered from. What he suffered from was, why, God? Why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why would you allow me to suffer like this? See, Job, Job wasn't mad and upset about the fact that he lost the things. It was the fact that why would God allow him to go through this? And we wonder the exact same thing in life, don't we? We wonder why, when something happens to us, why? Why? Why do I have to go through this? Why do these things happen in life? When something happens like this horrible tornado that happens and, and, and kills children in a school, we wonder why? You know, when someone gets diagnosed with cancer, why? Someone that we love so much and they die and we say, why? Why? Why do these things happen? And it's not wrong to ask why. Because we know that Jesus did it himself, right? We know that Jesus himself, when he was on the cross dying for us, Jesus asked, why? In Matthew 27, 46, it says that about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sakbaktani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why, God, would you abandon me? Why would you make me go through this? So Jesus himself asked, Why? Job suffered and struggled with why, and we still today suffer and struggle with why. Why do we go through it? And only God knows. No answer came to Jesus when he was dying on the cross, and there's no promise in God's word explaining to us why we go through the things we do. We may ask many, many times why, but he may never answer us. Chances are you'll never know. Only God knows. You know, because like I said, we know that there's no promise. It's, you know, sometimes it's because we've sinned, but sometimes it's not, right? Obviously, bad things happen to good people. Being prosperous, having things given to us is not necessarily a reward, a reward for being good because good things can happen to bad people. We see this. We see people who don't ever give a thought to God have everything given to them. Those ones that do fall down and come up, you know, poop and smell like roses when they get up. We all know the story. We've heard that, that phrase before. Some people, no matter what happens to them, things look great. Just everything works out for them. And some people go through and love Jesus with all their heart, would do anything for him, and have lived a blameless life. But there's one thing after another after another befalls them. That's because there's no promise. You can't do something to get something. So that's one thing we have to remember with God is we just love Jesus and Jesus loves us. It's just a faithful marriage between us. That's what it is. And I know that might sound very, very odd to a lot of men. I, I ask you to go back and watch the first one because like I said, there's so much interpretation when you realize the Bible talks about the proposal and how, how um, the whole Jewish 
uh, boy proposes to a girl, and it's the exact message of Jesus Christ. And, and you can go back and you can watch that. But this marriage that takes place between us as believers and our, our God, the Father, I mean, all it is is an assurance that he's there with us no matter what. No one is exempt from trouble. You know, God himself had two reasons in the case of Job why he allowed things to happen that they did. One, to prove Satan wrong. And two, to strengthen Job's faith. Because even though Job had faith, he got more faith. And it's hard for us to be like, I don't know if I want that much more faith, God. I don't know if I want to go through this much trouble and this much pain and torment to have more faith. But that purpose in Job's suffering is the same for us, the same thing. If we go through something, it's to get us to cling tighter to Jesus, to hold closer our faith. Like I said, in our marriage, no one knows the future at the beginning. But they believe without a doubt that love's going to take them through all things. No matter what happens, we're going to be there for each other. We'll work it through. We're going to be there. If we lose everything, it's okay. We'll both go live in a box underneath the, the bridge. We're together. It'll be okay. And with Jesus, the, the thing is, it's the same thing. We need to believe that same thing with Jesus, that regardless, that regardless of we have to go live underneath the bridge, that we're doing it with Jesus. If we have nothing in the refrigerator because you can't afford to buy something that you don't eat, that you don't eat with Jesus, you know, that's what it's about. But the thing is, if we have to keep going, you have to decide for yourself that you're going to be long-suffering. There's reasons why that stuff is mentioned in the Bible. Persistence, long-suffering, endurance. Those are the things that are actually described when we talk about our faith in the Bible. It doesn't say everything given to you, walking on easy street. It doesn't say that stuff. It actually says it's going to take tough work, hard work. And he says if you just keep working through it, if you keep fighting for your faith, because it is a fight, it is a war. If you do those things, it's going to bring us closer to God, just like it did with Job. You wouldn't think that Job could get closer, but he did. He actually got closer to God. We can't pick and choose when to love God. We can't decide only to love him when the good things happen and the bad things when they come. We say, okay, now I don't love God. Same way as in marriage, you can't decide one day to love somebody and then the next day not to. Every day you have to get up and you have to love somebody. Our love can't be decided on whether or not someone's been good enough to us. That's not true love. True love is somebody you love and somebody regardless if they've done something for you, not done something for you. Been there for you, not been there for you. True love isn't a deserving love. It's a love that's just there because you love. It's just, I love you because I love you, and that's it. We have to ask ourselves, if if we lose everything, if we have nothing left but just our faith, if everything's stripped away, is God enough for us? Is it enough? I went through tough times. I mean, I remember through circumstance in our past where we went and I remember crying in the grocery store thinking I can't buy everything. I can't get things. You know, I went through those tough times. I went through many, many painful, painful times when I was a kid. You know, not knowing if I was ever alone. I mean, if I was alone or if there was anybody that cared for me. But through it all, you realize that God's always been there for us. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that even if you don't even know him, that he's always collected our tears in a bottle. So every time we've cried, he's that close to it. He pays that attention to us. He loves us that much. 
If he can send his son to die on the cross for us, think about that. That sacrifice is its greatest you could possibly have. I mean, now I know myself. I adore my son. I love my son. I love my daughter. But could we do that? That's love at its greatest possible love that could be shown for us. But if we lose everything, is God enough? And the question we have to ask ourselves isn't, will I face hurts or how am I going to face these hurts? You know, how are you going to get through? And instead of asking why, how, God? How are you going to help me get through this? You know, how is the hurting going to strengthen my relationship with you? And how's all this going to work out for my good? C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God God shouts out in our pain and is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You know, that's when we always ask when some, like, national tragedy happens or, or something horrible. We say, why? Why would that allow that to be? Why would God allow that to happen? And you hear everybody say, well, it's not a good God that would allow that to happen. Well, Satan's in control, a lot of the things that happen. True, everything passes through God's hands. Certain things he's going to allow you to go through. And we don't know what they are. You know, we could be surprised with a bad health exam. We could think that we have the most secure job in the world and go in and find out that the place is closing. It happens. We could think that the person that we love the most would never leave us and then all of a sudden walk up and say, I don't love you no more. Those things could happen. We could lose everything like that, just like Job. And that's the reason why I think that they put Job, Job is in the Bible because it shows us someone that's went through so much pain can still love Jesus and still love God the way it's supposed to be. It's the same way we're all supposed to be. We made a vow to our Savior, just like we do in marriage, you know, that we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to keep this faith secure. You know, the one thing that Jesus will do is he'll keep his word. He'll keep secure with you. He'll be on your side. But marriage always involves another person, right? That old saying, it takes two to tango. So there's two people playing along in this marriage. It's up to us how much devotion we show him. It's how much devotion and care and and respect we give him. It's how much joy we show him that we care. All those different things. We have to ask if we're going to keep ours, our faith, our relationship. Revelation 19.9 says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, "These, These are true words that came from God. If you like weddings, there's no better wedding to be invited to than the last one, right? That's the one that we want to be invited to. There's some that you're invited, you're like, oh, please, dear God, I don't want to go to this wedding. (laughs) But the best one you can ever be invited to is the one at the end. Because this is when we get to go, and we get to go to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And that's what the Bible says at the end, that we get to do. We actually get to go up and be with our Savior. We get to go with him. And go on to glory. And that is, I, I've said in the, the past message series, it's, it's interesting that Jesus starts his first miracle with a wedding and ends with a wedding. You know, he turns water into wine, that first miracle. And then the very last one we get to go spend in, in eternity and go to the wedding supper of the Lamb. 
Don't you think it's an interesting thing that God used really two ways to describe our relationship with him? One, that we're his, he's our father and we're his kids. And I think that's because we can understand how that relationship works. But we see all the time that a lot of times families are broke apart. What do we see that's happening in the world? A lot of times the breakdown of the family is the father's not there. I don't think that's any surprise. I think that's Satan's plan. Destroy the family, because, you know, if we destroy the family, we destroy the image of what a father is in a relationship, and kids' idea and understanding of fathers. We see that there's no one's going to reach out and want God. What's the other thing that's getting destroyed is marriages, 50%. 50% of marriages that fail. You know why? Because it's a bitterness that also comes in those broken relationships, isn't it? When you have a marriage that fell apart, there's a lot of bitterness. And then when we talk about the fact that it's marriage, we had this skewed understanding and idea of what marriage is in our mind. So both really lead us away from God, not to him. We have to get that straight. We have to really get that straight in our minds what it is. You know, I didn't have the dad that was the best dad. And my image of my dad was not loving and, and being there for me. And I, I think to my kids, and I'm so thankful that I, I have a husband that loved him and loved him so much that he was there for him all the time. And I think their vision of what a dad is is way better than what mine was. But I'm thankful when I got saved that I knew without a doubt that that was what a real father was supposed to be. No doubt about it. One that was always there for me, always rooting on me to make it. Always there to say he loves me. Always there to show you're never by your, alone, Deb. You're, you're, I'm always by your side. That's what real love is. In a marriage, I know without a doubt, marriage is tough. I mean, we've been married for 30 years, and we were young, and statistically, like I say, it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have worked. But the reason why it did is because I got saved. And then John got saved. You know, it's really tough to tell your husband that it probably wouldn't have worked. I told him that. He said, it probably wouldn't have worked if I had not got married. And he says, really? Because John lives in a perfect little place of his own. We always joke around. John is a very happy man. He's just a happy, happy man. And it's real. That's him every day. Live with it. Um, <laughs> he really is. He's such a happy man. And, you know, the thing is, though, I told him that. And I said, you know, I don't know if we would ever stay. And he says, Really? I always think we would. I said, no, because I really believe that what stuck us together and made it work was devotion in Jesus. That's what made the difference. That's what makes the difference in your life. It will make all the difference in your, your whole walk, this whole rest of the world that you have to walk through. Whether or not you live an hour or 50 more years or 100 more years, this is what you got. You got a faithful God who loves you that's there beside you. If you hold on to him, that's your choice. You're going to stay devoted. Are you going to stay married to him? I don't want to see people walk away. It's tough to watch people walk away. After doing youth ministry and watching people for 20 years love Jesus and start to be faithful, and before long, the divorce happens. I don't want to see that with anybody. I want to see us all make it. I want us to see us celebrating anniversaries. I can't wait till someday going up to that wedding supper of the Lamb and recognizing you. That's what it's going to be about, you know? That joy that we have, that we're going to see each other someday in heaven. You know, the, the ending part when the, the vow happens, it says, till death do us part. 
right? So it says basically while we're here on earth, these vows have to last. One person dies, the other person is released. You know, that's one thing we have to trust in with God. You know, we never, ever are going to be away from him. That's one part of the vow that's not true because he says, I'll be there with you forever. That's our, our promise and our understanding is that we, he will never leave us. When we die, we still get to go be with Jesus. You know, there's this whole, you know, um, YOLO, you only live once kind of thing, right? Truthfully, what it is is, if you have a real relationship with Jesus, it's Yodo. You only die once. That's it. You only die once. You die a physical death, but your eternity will go with Jesus forever. So from now on, when you hear YOLO, I want to replace that with Yodo, okay? Now, it sounds like Frodo. It sounds like a whole C.S. Lewis thing, too, but it's okay. <laughs> but Yodo, that's what we need to count on, okay? I want to pray with you, it's okay? Well, Lord, we're thankful that you've given us these these ways of understanding how much it is that you love us as our father and also um, as a close relationship as far as a spouse, Lord. We're thankful that you've given us these things to really try to grasp the love it is that you have for us. I pray that you would help each person that's here today, Lord. Help them to feel that love, to know that they are so devoted to, Lord, that you care so much that you're there by their side for everything. Lord, I pray that they know that they're never alone that you're there for them. And Lord, I just pray that if somebody's here today that doesn't know you, Lord, if they've never really said, I need forgiveness and I need assurance, Lord, that you would just uh, help them to just call out your name today. Help them to ask for forgiveness. And Lord, help them to make a better chance, or choices, I mean, in the future. I pray for each person that's here, for their families that are represented. Lord, I pray that you would help them to stay secure in your love. Lord, that you would provide for them and be with them through all the troubles and trials, Lord. Whatever they are, if they, whatever could befall us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us and, and just keep us close to you. We're thankful that you're always by our side, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.